0: Well, I want to welcome Jim Hauk, who's here with us today. Jim will be preaching for us in just a minute. I've known Jim for 15 years now. We were just talking about that before the service. He is a dear brother in Christ. He and his wife Liv, Liz, sorry Liz. He and his wife Liz have such a heart for people. And they give all credit to God and his grace for that. Just a short story, I remember when I was sick, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease several years ago, roughly 10 years ago now. And I remember when I was initially diagnosed, I was put on quarantine, much like we are now, but it was even worse. I had to be completely by myself. I had to take radioactive iodine, and that destroyed my my thyroid. And there was a man who came by several times while I was sick to check up on me, and that was Jim. And I, I remember that, and to this day, that's just an example of Jim and Liz's heart for people. Jim and Liz have been married for 32 years now, they have nine children. The three oldest are married and have given them six wonderful grandchildren. Jim served in the Navy for many years. They lived here first in King George back in the 90s and again from 2007, uh, from early 2000s to 2017. Jim retired from the Navy in 2007 and worked on base in the Aegis BMD until they moved to Wake Forest North Carolina, where they now live, for Jim to attend Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Jim is pursuing a Master of Divinity in Christian Ministry and looking to graduate next year. They plan to then move to Texas after graduation. They believe the Lord is calling them to minister in the military community around Fort Hood, Texas. Jim and Liz have served in children's and high school ministries, primarily through AWANA. They are currently members of Richland Creek Community Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. and They were longtime members here at Oakland Baptist Church in King George. Jim, I invite you now, brother, to come and give us the word.
1: morning, everybody. Jim, thank you very much for that introduction. I am truly thankful to be here with all of you and worship with you today. I'm thankful to be here with my family, as well. It's really a blessing. Um, it's you know, with this opportunity to preach here at Redeemer Church was was uh, born, I guess, several months ago. Um, we were I was going to be here in March, but then of course the the COVID-19 flipped everything upside down. Liz and I and our younger children were in Texas for several weeks. Um, being a, you know, we have two adult children there who are married and, and have grandchildren, and uh, we were there for several weeks. Uh, but Jim didn't give up on us or give up on me, and we landed on June 21st. And then at the time that we converged on this date, it, was, it completely passed me that it was Father's Day. I didn't know at the time. So I'm grateful to, to preach today, to herald God's word, to the work of his spirit, but also to be here on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. God bless you all. I'm really thankful to be here. Let's, let's pray together, then we'll, we'll go into the word gracious Lord as we open your word to hear from you please Lord do a great work uh, in us uh, thank you Lord that the very words we, we read were inspired by your spirit God and the author who wrote them down And that same spirit now your same spirit God is working in us right now where may you be glorified through the preaching of your word today Lord may we hear well from you may we learn today may we draw closer together as the body of Christ lord may we draw closer to you above all god we love you and we praise you and thank you in jesus name amen our text today is hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 through chapter 4 verse 14 i'll read the text and then we'll uh, we'll we'll get into it so please allow me to to read the text with you, Hebrews 3, 15 through 4, 14. As it was said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? And who was he provoked with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And who did he swear to that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise to enter God's rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we also have received the good news just as they did But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest. In keeping with that, he has said, so I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, "'They will never enter my rest.'" Since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, again, he specifies a certain day, today. Speaking through David after such a long time, as previously stated, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession." Hebrews is a beautiful book in the Bible. I I truly love the book of Hebrews. I will confess, I've struggled with this particular text over the years of reading through Hebrews and studying Hebrews. It is a difficult text to, to reconcile and understand. Let's talk a little bit about Hebrews from a high level, kind of sail through the book real quick. Um, The book of Hebrews is rich in Christology. The book is all about Jesus. We are reminded and learn from the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact expression of God's nature. The universe was made through him, writes the author of Hebrews. He is Messiah, He is our great high priest. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The book of Hebrews is rich in Christology, and that's just a few of the many, many beautiful things the author of Hebrews tells us about our Messiah, about Jesus. The book of Hebrews also affirms the inspiration and authority of Scripture very, very well. The book of Hebrews, as a New Testament book, also masterfully and beautifully connects with the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews directly quotes the Old Testament more than any book in the New Testament other than the book of Revelation. It is a wonderful book. And as I said, I have struggled with this particular text, but my prayer is today that as we go through the text and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me and speak into our hearts, we can see the connection between the Christology and the authority of Hebrews and God's rest and the purpose and theme of the book of Hebrews. I have a couple of illustrations I'd like to share with you to to connect with God's rest. The first one is just an illustration, something from my life, an experience that relates to God's rest. It kind of points that way. This speaks back into when I was in the Navy. As Jim said, I I was in the Navy for, for a while. The last ship I served on was uh, the USS Bonham Richard LHD six. It's a large deck amphibious assault ship out of San Diego, California. We were deployed in 2003 uh, for Operation Iraqi Freedom, and uh, we were up in the Arabian Gulf and the Persian Gulf during that conflict. And we were sending Marines and sending Marine aviation into Iraq on missions. Um, Bonham Richard is a was a steam ship. It was it's propelled by steam, and our chief engineer, the man who ran the steam plant, was a guy named Marty Spell, who my wife Liz remembers, I'm sure. Marty, at that time, was a 34-year steam engineer in the Navy, and he just knew everything. Marty knew everything. I remember, I had never served on a steamship before the Bonham Richard, and had the privilege many times to walk through the engineering spaces with, with Marty, and he would just teach me about the steam plant, and he could be walking through there. He could just listen. And hear like a pump, and, and tell him, this guy There's something wrong with that pump. You know, go go check it out." Or he he just knew what was going on at all times. Just an amazing engineer in the Navy. Well, in the midst of those operations in 2003, one is actually in the middle of the night. Um, we we dropped the load. The ship went completely dark. Everything shut off. Okay, and I remember at that time, uh, and we had planes that were in the air on the way back to us. And we were very near to. Shoal water or water too shallow for the ship to be in we had lots of things going on and losing power at that point was a really big problem It was a really big problem and I remember thinking at that time all, all we could do is just let Marty do his job and Just trust that Marty and his team would bring the ship back to life And get us underway again, so we could f- complete our mission and recover our, our our aircraft and our pilots safely We continued to do everything we could but we rested and Marty's knowledge and his team down in engineering to bring the ship back to life. And they did, and we, he did, and they did, and we completed our mission. All right, That's an illustration that points to God's rest, but it's really, really thin. Okay, there's really nothing in the world that we can point to that gives us a, f- a complete picture of God's rest. In fact, God's rest is more than we can comprehend. It's bigger than we can possibly comprehend this side of eternity. But that's just a picture, a pointer. A much more complete illustration of God's rest is our salvation experience. Let's review that. For those of you who are believers in the room, let's just review what God has done in our salvation. God the Father extended his grace to you. The Holy Spirit moved you to saving faith in Christ. You're justified in Christ. You are declared righteous before God in Christ. You are adopted by God as a son or a daughter in Christ. God the Father sent the Spirit of Christ into your heart to counsel you and to teach you and to guide you and to reveal the truth of his word to you. You are secure in Christ for eternity. And we know God the Father will complete his sanctifying work for you in Christ. You will one day enter glory with all the believers on that day when he returns for his church. When we consider our salvation, that's the most complete illustration that we know from God's word and the truth of our own testimony of what God's rest is. In our salvation, we have entered God's rest. We have rested from our own works in salvation, which will not get us salvation, and we rest in the completed work that God has done in Christ for our salvation. And we know he's going to complete that work. We one day will be fully sanctified in Christ and be in glory with him, and behold his countenance. That's the most complete picture of God's rest that we have this side of eternity. So with that, Backdrop of those illustrations to point to God's rest. Let's go through the text together and see what we can, what the Spirit will, will show to us as, as we go through the text. So I'm going to look first at chapter 3, verses 15 to 19. There's some really important points in there. When I was preparing this message, you know, I first began at chapter 4, verse 1, but as I read back through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, I felt strongly that that chapter 3, at least the last part of it, was really important to connect to this text to discuss God's rest. So in chapter 3, verses 15 through 19, we learn some really important things, as I said. So first of all, in verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So I believe we can take away from there that unbelief, leads to rebellion, leads to a hardened heart. In fact, unbelief is the root of sin. It's the root of destruction. Then in verse 16, unbelief brings forth rebellion against God. Let's read 16 together. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? So we see from verse 16, unbelief brings forth rebellion against God. It hardens the heart. It would be wise at this point just to to reflect back as the author of Hebrews was doing on the Israelites in the wilderness before entering Canaan. Consider for a moment all the miracles God had done for the Israelites to lead them out of Egypt. Many, many miracles, parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army, leading them by a pillar of fire at night and by a cloud by day, providing manna for them, protecting them. Over and over again, he did miracles. The time came for the Israelites to enter the promised land. God told Moses to select 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to explore it, to check it out, and come back and report what they found. At this time, the Israelites numbered well over 2 million people. And from those 2 million people divided into 12 t- tribes, 12 men were selected to go on this mission. These were men who were leaders in their tribes, but very highly respected men of God. The 12 went into Canaan, and their report when they came out was not good. 10 of the 12 reported to the Israelites that there's giants there, and they cited all the different types of people that were there. And we can't defeat these giants. They're stronger than us. We are, we're like grasshoppers to them. Only two of the men, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, we must go into the promised land. We can, God will deliver the land to us. But 10 did not. Let me just read for you real, something from Numbers. Let's tie that together. This is Numbers 14, verse 1. After that report where the spies gave this report of desperation, a true lack of faith, not believing that God could deliver the promised land. This was the Israelites response. Numbers 14, I'll read a few verses starting in verse one. Then the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept at night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? After all that God had done with the Israelites, all the miracles he had done, all the intimate covenants he had made with them, they did not believe. They did not believe that God would deliver his promises, would keep his covenant. Unbelief brings forth rebellion. We also see In the last part of chapter 3, verses uh, 17 and 18, and who was he provoked with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And who did he swear to that they would not enter his rest? So we also see from this text that unbelief provokes God. In fact, I would argue from Scripture that the most important thing God desires from us is belief on him, that we believe on him. From belief comes proper worship, from belief comes a proper perspective on our life today. So unbelief provokes God. It's, it's really serious. And we need to treat it that way. We also see in chapter 3, from verse 19, it reads, "So we, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief chains us from entering God's rest. Unbelief is really, really serious. It's the root of sin. Let's move on into chapter four. We'll look at verses uh, one through four together first. And what we'll see is we enter God's rest by faith. Let's read those first four verses together of chapter four. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we have also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. So we see that we enter God's rest by faith. We also see that God's rest is available. And there's an exhortation in these verses to enter God's rest. And we're going to see a little later in our text, there's an even stronger exhortation to enter God's rest. And what I love about this, these verses, is that the gospel is center to all of it. Isn't it sweet? Remember, I mentioned early on about the book of Hebrews connecting so well the New Testament back to the Old Testament, anchoring everything that's said here in the Old Testament in fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that the Old Testament believers, the Israelites, they heard the same message. The good news was preached to them as well, but they didn't believe. All right, so again, unbelief is a really, really big issue. And for those of us who have heard the word and believed, it isn't our works. It isn't anything we've done. It is faith. It is faith that allows us to have access to God's rest it is by faith the gospel is central is central hearing and believing hearing in faith in fact the only response for believers when you hear the gospel is faith how else can we respond to the glorious message of the gospel we need to re- we respond in faith that's our response it's also very interesting that the author and i used a couple of illustrations early on the author of this text he points back to creation he points back back specifically to the 7th day and God's rest God had completed his work of creation and he rested and i i struggled much with that part of the text and i still do And again, it's beyond what we can fully comprehend. But I think one possibility the author is doing here is he is, in fact, giving us an illustration himself. If we can think back to creation, God's completed work, and the Garden of Eden before the fall, just think about creation then, right? I mean, everything was in its place. Nothing was out of place. There was no sin. There was no conflict there were no diseases there was no there was no sin everything was in its place when god finished his work of creation it really was done so i think the writer of hebrews is giving us that illustration to remind us of of god's rest it's something that's complete we can rest in right now god completed his work of creation and he rested from that but god is still working It tells us in John chapter five, verse seventeen. Jesus says, "My Father and I—we are working. We are still working." Right. So the author gives us this beautiful illustration to to have us reflect back on that picture of rest. Everything in its place, everything in order, nothing out of place. God sovereign, in control of everything. I think that's a beautiful illustration. I think about Adam and and Eve, too, in the garden before the fall. They were in that perfect creation, and they they were where God was. They tabernacled with him every day. The garden was where God was, his presence was. So there's something about God's rest that we need to focus on. That is that it's where God is. It's his presence. We enter his presence when we enter his rest, just like Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall before the tragedy of the fall and sin, that we can well see the effects of even today, right? Even as we gather together here today. Verses 5 through um, 7, the author continues his theme that God's rest is available. He's consistent to keep exhorting us, to keep reminding us his rest is available. Something I didn't say when I did my sail through of Hebrews is that the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers. So in our context of of hearing this message and studying this text, the author is writing to believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ and have experienced the salvation we described earlier and entered his rest for salvation. So there's something else to his rest that applies to us in our journey through sanctification in this life, right? So, verse, verses 5 through 7. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Since it remains for some to enter it, and those who former, formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, again, he specifies a certain day today, speaking through David after such a long time as previously stated, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So we are reminded in those verses from our text that God's rest is available. And there's an urgency with which the author is exhorting us to enter his rest. In fact, he says, it's today. It is today. We can get a lot out of that, can't we? First of all, it's beautiful that the author of Hebrews, he directly quotes Psalm 95, one of David's psalms, one of David's psalms. So just thinking for a moment, David wrote... The Psalms, approximately 900 B.C., which would be about 500 years after the Israelites disobeyed in unbelief and fell in the wilderness. So 500 years after that event, David writes his psalm to the people of his day. right? And then, sometime after Christ lived and rose, sometime maybe 60 or so A.D., the author of Hebrews wrote these words and reminded his, the believers he was writing to at that time that today is the day. Today, enter God's rest. Be urgent. And here we are now, some 2,000 years beyond when Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again to be our Messiah. Today is the day. We need to hear his voice and respond and not rebel. When you hear his voice, don't rebel. Listen to his voice. Today really is important, and we use that term a lot. Certainly in the church, today it's today's the Lord's day. It's really important. Well, it really is. It's God's grace that we have today. We may not have tomorrow. And I certainly think recent events we've been living through, from a big picture scale, COVID-19, in our own nation, what we see happening with racial tension and all the unrest happening. And I know certainly within families we go through trials together, serious trials. We are reminded through these things that, we, that, that you know, tomorrow is not a guarantee, but we have today. So I also exhort you today, enter God's rest. Enter God's rest. Today is very important. Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> drink a lot of coffee and uh, which i do love but it's not the best way to hydrate you know so i gotta drink a little water every now and then just to uh so i can talk um okay so now we're looking at uh, verses 8 through 11 in chapter 4 so i'm gonna read those and then we'll talk about them for if joshua had given them rest god would not have spoken later about another day therefore a sabbath rest remains for god's people for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. I've talked a lot about disobedience. I said the root of it is unbelief. I probably don't need to foot stomp that too much more. But the author of Hebrews keeps coming back to it, doesn't he? But what I love about verses 10 through 11, is the author of Hebrews. He is getting to the meat, to the point, the real point of this particular text that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And really the meat of that is the gospel. The author is closing in on the key theme, which is the gospel. The gospel is God's rest. In fact, God's rest, it's not a place. He talks about Joshua. Now Joshua did, as as, as you know, I'm sure, Joshua did eventually lead the Israelites into Canaan, but he did not lead them into God's rest. In fact, you could argue that he, let, he just simply moved them from one place to another because the Israelites continued to sin. They continued in their disbelief and, 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 and sinfulness and rebellion. God did miraculous works in the land of Canaan to deliver the land to them, but they did not enter God's rest just because they crossed over into Canaan. No, God's rest is not a place, it's a person. That person is Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that more as we get through the text, but I think so the author is setting that up, right? He's setting it up, closing it on his theme. God's rest is not a place, it's a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's redemptive plan for all creation. He has redeemed us, the believers in the room, we are redeemed in Christ. But it tells God's word tells us in Colossians, he is redeeming all creation in Christ. All creation will be made new again in Christ. He is the centerpiece. He is the truth of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. The whole Bible points to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It is all about him. It really is. Moving on to verses uh, 12 through 14, the last verses in this text. Verse 12 is a, is a wonderful verse. I'm sure you would all agree. Um, it's a verse I've used many, many times, just as a standalone verse. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. That is a great standalone verse but I, I confess to you until I read that verse in the context of this entire text I didn't fully appreciate it and I know I don't fully appreciate it now please hear me, I'm not suggesting I do but I appreciate it more having seen how it fits into this text the author of Hebrews, he's given us the secret, right? I already said that, the, that God's rest is not a place it's a person, Jesus Christ now he's telling us his secret is found in the word It's in the Word. That's where we learn about Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that a little more. And I'll read 13 and 14 as well. Um, So the key to discovering God's rest is through his Word, right? Verse 12 is a beautiful verse. It reminds us that that God's Word is alive, and it speaks. God's Word is alive, and it speaks. I have to to believe that the author of, of, of Hebrews was familiar with Isaiah 55, I want to read for you um, a couple of verses from Isaiah 55, if I can get there quickly here. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word That comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please, and will prosper in what I send it to do. God's word is alive. It's active. It has a purpose. God sends it, and it will get done what it's supposed to get done. It will be accomplished. I I believe the author of Hebrews was very familiar with, with that text from Isaiah. I really do. Something else about God's word that's really important and Uh, This leads, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 13 as well. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word untangles our hearts. I mean, my heart gets really tangled up often, but God's word untangles my heart, and it reveals the unbelief, it reveals the sin that's deep inside there. It does a great work. It reveals what's deep within. It also holds holds us accountable, holds me accountable. It holds us accountable to God before God as judge. and he is judge. He is the judge. He's a perfect judge. and we are accountable for him and his word holds us to that as it reveals our sin and our unbelief and all the things in our hearts. So the Word of God is the secret, to God's rest because it's a secret where we can learn about Jesus. I'll read verse 14 and I'll tie that back into the text. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. I had a hard time stopping there with this text. I really did because 14 through 16 is another really beautiful passage, but I stopped there. I stopped there. There is no other way to enter God's rest except through Jesus. And the only way we can know Jesus and learn about him and, and, and understand him and know him is through God's Word. Uh, turn with me since it's really close by in your Bible, 1 Peter 1. Uh, so First Peter 1, 22 through 25. So we're in the first chapter of the first letter of, of Peter. Just to emphasize the importance of God's word in knowing Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25 reads, By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as a gospel to you. So I tie that in just to emphasize, as the author of Hebrews has, is that to know Jesus, to really know him, it's, it's through his word. And there are Christian believers. There are believers who have believed on Jesus, but they say, look, all I really want is Jesus. I don't need the Bible. I don't need all that churchy stuff. I just want Jesus. Well, I would tell that that brother or sister that you really can't know Jesus. You can't grow in him without the word. This is where you do it, right here. And I love how the author of Hebrews just gives us a, a bigger picture of how much we have in Christ. We've already talked about our salvation experience and the amazing work he's done and there's so much more as we journey through life and sanctification as we face trials and tribulations in life and in, that come upon us from the world the fallen world we live in we can be in rest in Christ we follow him we don't follow the world i have a personal illustration i want to share and then we'll we'll close up with some application and and we'll, and we'll finish up but I did give an illustration early on that was from a personal experience on, on one of my ships, but this is a, a personal family experience I'll share with you that as I remember what God has done you know, in my life, and I need to do that a lot more often than I do, but as I reflect back on many, many things he's done, this particular event, I now I really view it as a moment where I enter God's rest with a certain a certain issue that I, I was dealing with. So um, later after Bonham Ashard, I, I, uh, I deployed... To Iraq in 06 and 07. Uh, I got deployed actually with the Army. It's kind of interesting. I was a Navy guy. I got sent to the Army for a year. But uh, before I went to Iraq um, in the years 05 and 06 and in that range, Caroline was born. Uh, there she sits right there. She was our seventh child. At the time also, we had, um, and some of you in the room remember our niece and nephews who came to live with us, Alexis, Matt, and Danny. So we went from six, David was number six. We went from six to 10 in a span of about three months. In terms of how many children we had under our roof, and I had been for some years praying that, okay, Lord, I know when it's time for Liz and I to stop having children, you'll make it clear. You know, we'll know it's it's time. It's that, that that is over, right? And I convinced myself that um, well, there there's the sign. You know, we went from six children to ten children in a matter of months, and, and we were really busy with all that, and um, that was you know I decided that that's that it was done. So I took over that department, right? Well, I did deploy to Iraq for a year, and uh, while I was over there, was, and it's amazing, in this modern era, you can still communicate with your wife and your children, and I was able to communicate with Liz regularly, and in around that time, you know, we began to converse about fertility again and children, and, and I don't want to in any way try to reflect what Liz said or what she was doing, but her heart was following God, and I praise him for that because she just... I'll summarize what she said is, and that, is that I don't think this is over necessarily, and we need to really be praying about this. And at first, I was a little frustrated, I'm like, wait a minute, we had the sign, we had the sign, you know, we we know this is over. But when I got home, and through Liz's faithful prayer and for me, and as, her, and as she followed Christ, which I really praise the Lord for. One evening, I was at church. Jim mentioned that we were longtime members at Oakland. That was up at Oakland, and a brother it was on a, it was on a weeknight. I can't remember exactly why I was there. Probably something with our children or something, but this particular brother was sitting in his car, actually taking a nap. But I went up to him, and he's a dear friend, and talked to him about this. I said, "Hey, you know, man, you know, I got the sign. We're we're done. You know, it's over." But Liz has been saying maybe not. Let's pray. But to, to make a long story short, that night, as I talked to my brother, I, I prayed at that moment, and I gave it back to God. I said, "Okay, God, I am. I am not going to. You know, I'm going to give this back to you. And if we have more children." Your will be done. If we don't, your will be done. But I gave it to God. In our case, he did give us two more children, Evangeline and Isabel, who are sitting right there. He may not have done that. But my point is, something happened that night. And I look back on it, particularly in light of this text. At that moment, I entered God's rest as far as planning our family. I really did. Um, that was a great, great moment of peace. And just believing that God... God would complete the work that He intended to do, whatever it was. Um, I'm sure you have examples in your from your life, in your faith, in your walk with the Lord, where you can look back and say, "Wow, that was a moment I entered God's rest in that particular area." That leads right into application, and, and there's a lot. There's a lot. <clears throat> I'll hit a few. So first of all, God is, I believe, excuse me, the author of Hebrews. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're being challenged to ask ourselves, where is our unbelief? And again, I'm talking to believers, right? We'll get to unbelievers in just a moment. But for believers in the room, where is your unbelief? I need to ask myself the same question. Where is my unbelief? If I'm honest, there's still a lot of unbelief in my heart as I journey through life. So in application, ask yourself, where is my unbelief? I think the author of Hebrews is also challenging us to remember what God has done. We had the privilege early on in this message to kind of reflect back on what he's done in, in Christ for our salvation, the complete work from before time into eternity. It's in Christ. He did it all. He did it all. Remember that. And in light of that, re- remember the other things he has done and is doing in your life today, in your marriages, in your families, in your children, in your children. Remember. For fathers, again, happy Father's Day. Speaking to myself and all the fathers in the room, you know, where, where's our unbelief? I am. Certainly raising children is no easy task. It's one of the most humbling things we can experience this side of, of eternity. But I reflect back on my journey as a father, and I confess in front of my family, and in front of all of you, many, many times, my fatherhood has been about me and me trying to control things and me trying to steer kids in a certain way and all these different things. Certainly we steer them towards this book. Don't, don't, don't hear me wrong, but other things. Um, but I, when I have fathered well, if I have, it's been when I've, been, I've entered God's rest in fathering, when I've trusted my children to the Lord and just prayed for them and believed that God is going to lead them to the, to the life he has for them. And he does have a plan for them, right? So really important application. We pray for them. And lastly, I don't want to assume that everybody in this room is a believer. Perhaps you are here today and you've never placed saving faith in Christ. And as I said early on and as the author of Hebrews very clearly reminds us, it's nothing we do. We can't work for our salvation we can't earn it. It is a gift from God. It's by grace through faith as it says in Ephesians. So if you are here today and you've never believed on the Lord Jesus, today is that day. As we just read, today is the day to believe on him for salvation and enter God's completed work, enter his rest for salvation in Christ. Today is that day. I'll close this in prayer and and invite Brother Jim back up. So please pray with me. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it is alive and active. Thank you that your spirit right now is working in me and in every heart in this room. Lord, may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. Lord, may it grow in us now as we go forth. Lord, thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.